Hello and welcome to another episode of A Need to Read. I am very happy to bring you a conversation with Molly Masters. Molly runs a company called Books That Matter, which just so happens to be the largest book subscription service in the UK, mainly focusing on female literature and she also puts lots of nice things from local businesses in the books. And she's been doing that for two years and it has grown very, very quickly. She, It was a great conversation. I was really impressed by her passion. I love to see people passionately talking about things. So I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. If you're new here, please do give us a follow on Instagram. It is at a need to read with the number two and not the word. That way you can keep up with all the new episodes and all the books that I'm reading myself. I'll put a list of Molly's favorite books in the description of this episode. Molly, welcome to a need to read. I know that was very abrupt. But I'll do a little intro <laughs> when, I, when I record. Well, I record right. an intro myself. But welcome to a need to read. Thank you for coming on. Thank so you. You're Molly me. Masters, and you are the mind behind books that matter. I think so. Yes. <laughs> um, no, Excellent. it's it's wonderful to be here, and thank you for inviting me to talk about yeah my book subscription box business. Yeah, perfect. So tell us a bit about it. Um, and maybe even go back as to sort of start at the beginning. Is it where the idea came from? And it's obviously something that you're passionate about. What what lit that fire? Yeah. So um, Books That Matter, for a bit of context, is the UK's leading and largest book subscription box service. And our niche sits within bringing empowering female-led fiction to women globally. So each box contains a book and then gifts that are usually themed um, from other female-led businesses. And at the moment, we serve between three to 4,000 women every month. There are some men dotted in there, but mainly women fill up our subscriber base. And we are just about to turn two years old. So I started Books That Matter when I was in my, gosh, like just the end of my second year of university when I was back in 2018. Um, and I started it kind of just on a whim I kind of found out that I wasn't going to be able to afford to go into a master's and that was my plan so as soon as I realized that wasn't financially viable for me as a first generation scholar and a working class student it was I was already in that place of like finishing off the end of my dissertation and juggling three jobs and I really wanted to go into higher ed and it just wasn't going to happen annoyingly only like 18 months after I left uni they started offering master's um, like bursaries and things like that, which weren't available to me at the time, but I'm glad that things are more accessible now. But at the time it kind of felt like my path was just completely thrown off course. And all I could think about was being yep. a lecturer and doing my higher ed and it was a bit weird. So um, I then kind of started taking more women's literature classes and just filling up my time whilst I was still at university before I submitted my dissertation. And found that that was something that I kind of unintentionally been throwing myself into and coming from quite a conservative background actually women's literature was not something that was on my horizon up until I went to university which was something then that started those cogs turning in my mind that there should be a way for this literature which is often seen as a little bit too academic or too complex and it's sometimes hidden in the back of bookshops it's not right at the front it is something that's maybe not accessible to people people think that it's not accessible to them so I actually thought that Books That Matter might be some sort of blog. And then I remembered that maybe people aren't consuming the blogs in the same way as they used to back in like 2010 when I still had one. So I thought there needed to be something coupled with it and thought about subscription boxes. I did a summer 
in um, in Hearst. So I was working in London at Cosmopolitan um, on an unpaid internship and was working with other subscription boxes. And that was kind of my first foray into that business. I didn't even know that. I guess I did know they existed, but they weren't really for me. Like makeup subscription boxes and stuff were clearly very popular, but yeah. I didn't look for them. And um, I was working on those accounts and like promotional work and kind of started putting two and two together and thought about a book subscription box. And um, it wasn't until there was a blanket email that was sent out at university to all the business students about this um, kind of uh, initiative that was going on on campus where they, um, I think technically they're like a business center called the Innovation Center. And they offered a £10,000 prize for the best idea every year. Essentially, it was like this big um, eight month kind of business incubator. You had to bring your idea. You had to bring in kind of pitches and business savvy. And I had none of that. So I submitted my idea, got onto it, wasn't a business student. It became very apparent that you probably had to be. And um, then eight months later, I kind of built a business plan and kind of was still juggling jobs at the time so I definitely felt like I wasn't the best candidate because there were some people who were able to give it their full full whammy and I was still kind of trying to make it my priority but I really wanted it to happen because I felt like it was the best step from my passion with English literature and women's writing and bringing it into something new and yeah eight months after doing that I became the first female winner of that prize which was really fun and that's amazing um it was really interesting to hear you talk about that. And the one thing that I love is watching people talk about things that they're passionate about. You can see that coming through there and it's quite a, it's a relevant story that you're the first female winner of that. And it's all about sort of female literature and stuff like that. And you said that you came from a conservative background and we're obviously from the same County. Um, yeah. Dorset. Yeah. Very, I should say that county. not like, a, not a, not a conservative myself. I was surrounded by, you know, as you know, like you say, Blue County. I, I think people like, make <laughs> There was a radical change. Um, no, there wasn't. I was always very liberal and um, it was very, I don't know. It's a first world problem for sure, but like it's difficult being holding liberal beliefs in a conservative town or a conservative environment, yeah. as you know, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And it, it is actually really quite difficult. I think mm. when, when you think about it, when whatever if if you started off quite liberal or, or changed to be quite liberal when you realize that your levels of compassion probably just need to go up and up you realize how many people's levels of compassion are really far down to the ground yeah and for me i think it's quite important to get people like yourself on who are sort of driving on the sort of feminist movement i've grown up in a really fem like a feminist household my sister shout out to you harriet biggest feminist <laughs> i know and like she just does insane things for women. Started working at a company when she left university and created a whole women's network um, in there. Amazing. Oh, amazing. My mum is like a quite high up in the NHS as a midwife and she got an OBE for services to midwifery. So I always had like Excellent. real strong women. Yeah. So I feel like now like this this is my opportunity to kind of show like I'm not just one of the lids. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can... smugglers on Instagram. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. <laughs> only for any yeah. real feminists wear budgie smugglers. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it, it was so lovely to hear you talk about it in that way. And I'd, li I'd like to understand one interesting thing there is that you said that you weren't a business head before you started it. Mm. And it's something that you'd, you'd moved into, not necessarily blind, but... 
knowing. <laughs> no, I didn't know anything. I'd done business at GCSE and um, I, I would say like I did well in that. But I think what's different between GCSEs, A-levels and uni is that push of your kind of like autonomous decision making. I could recite things mm. about business, but I actually didn't know the practice and up against people who were coming from upper class, very wealthy backgrounds, whose parents had maybe already invested in two, three, four startup mm -hmm. ideas. This wasn't their first competition. This wasn't their first business. It was really intimidating. And there were also, I wouldn't say that it was a majority. It was just, there was a minority of people who held the floor within the classrooms when we would be doing these kind of um, like activities when we'd be building up our uh, business plan or whatever. They would make it like really known that you wouldn't make any um headway if you had no business savvy and often if you didn't have money and i was told on multiple occasions that like women don't run successful businesses and like that was like the wording wow. people used and i was like okay thanks hun um and back then that wasn't something that like fueled my fire i was like a really shy mm. kind of self-detriment i still am to a certain extent but i like i was a lot mm. kind of more reserved then and i remember i did my first pitch we had to do these like practice pitches because at the end the ten thousand pounds had to come from um this kind of almost board of investors if you like who you did have to do this live pitch in front mm. of um fast forward to that i actually tripped over my own foot and still managed to do it so i kind of just use that as my story nice. and if i could do it pretty much anyone can and um that was yeah that was super suave but in the first pictures that we had to do which was literally just in front of this classroom full of people that we'd been getting to know for eight months i still stood up nothing came out and i just walked out i was like i can't do this and it was it was the leaf there was like a majority of people who were really encouraging and also a lot of women applied that year and they made us feel really supported they had women's only seminars which some people tended to have a problem with but mm. i think because there's such a deficit of women in business especially women from working class backgrounds or minority backgrounds, they felt like it was really, really important for people to, they realized that when it came to that pitching stage, that's when women tended to drop out more. Um, and so that we mm. were nurtured. And I remember that my now business mentor like followed me out after I'd done my very shaky, very kind of non-coherent pitch. And she was like, you're going to be fine. It will be absolutely fine because I think there are people in that room who do have a lot more experience and that is, Sometimes, I mean, to their extent, that is their, um, that's, what, what's the word that I'm looking for? Sorry, I'm fumbling over my words now, but that's to their benefit. Yeah. But it's also to the detriment of everyone else in the room who has maybe got to work multiple jobs and isn't able to give a lot of time to it or hasn't got parents that can give them money for training or, you know, away days. And yeah, it's, I think sometimes places like university that mash people together of lots of different like backgrounds, you get that kind of realisation that, these there are like very very real barriers to entry and i say that as like a a, a white able-bodied woman and i know that for many other mm. women it's much harder um so yeah it was definitely mm. um not easy going into it not just with a no business mind but also with no idea yeah. of how the financials worked as well how have you found it since then have you had to read like business books to get your mind sort of set on on business because i know obviously books that matter is about fiction have mm. you had any non-fiction books that have had a big sort of influence on anything from management style to how your day-to-day -day runnings of the business yeah so i'd say that like business books i think because i'm a fiction and like predominantly like feminist non-fiction person they don't do it for me mm. they're not like i don't they're not yeah. a page turner 
but I do do it and yeah. I listen to a lot of business podcasts because I think when you're doing the day-to-day mm. you need something that's on in the background to keep you focused um so I love business podcasts um usually like female run but there are a lot out there that are run by very successful businessmen as well um and I like it when obviously like people like you go the extra mile to make that intersectional and very like diverse mm. and that makes a difference yeah. but I think I don't know I'm not sounding really cheesy but it's just there's nothing more like a baptism of fire than the experience of trying and sometimes failing yeah. to run a business so I feel like that has helped with the confidence but certain books um like I really enjoyed Chidera Egeru's What a Time to Be Alone which really focuses on like confidence and empowerment um and she's a really big voice for feminism and for kind of women just like having financial freedom whether that's within business or like you know the like booming influencer industry um which I felt was like a really important um book for me to read but yeah I think yeah. there's nothing there's nothing like failing and having to just confront your failures no. and also your successes and trying to celebrate them at the same time um which makes for like yeah. the best kind of learning I think yeah definitely because the reason I asked that is because I, I read Shoe Dog um earlier this year it's a mm. memoir of Phil Knight he he sort of started he was the CEO of Nike up until like 2010 something like that mm. um and it's interesting to hear the story of a startup I know it's very different around about the 70s but it seems like I mean for want of a better word it seems like a ball ache getting it going um <laughs> yeah it's- with like just really really sweet rewards yeah I mean the rewards and like that sounds like a bad thing to say but I'd say the rewards have like kicked in maybe in the last five months and like that's because yeah. I think that that's why people say that the but like businesses fail so much in the first year and I think that's because it's not because you're wait, waiting for the rewards but sometimes they seem so far away and the risk and the ball ache as you say just doesn't seem worth it after yeah. a while and there are definitely times when I was when I moved to Bristol and that's where I started the physical side of the business I was still working full time because there was no way in hell that the money that I'd been given was going to be giving me a salary because there was so much to do within the business. Um, in hindsight, yeah. I think I would have changed that up a little bit and maybe quit my job earlier. But there are so many times when it's, it's so much easier to give up and like, I would still commend anybody who's given it a go. And maybe I wouldn't say that, especially for women in business, it's not that you quit because you don't have the drive. Most often it's because you don't have the resources and whether that's financial support mm. experience, it's really, hard to come by and I think I was really lucky that I had a good support network of people who really wanted me to do this so the times that came by that Mm. I felt like maybe I didn't want to which is perfectly natural um you just have people who are going to keep you going as well and I think it was always great having this amazing online community as we do which they were all like there from day one and that just is I still can't comprehend it but it's like we have this little it's not so little family anymore of people who just really love what we do and most of the time that was like what kept me going because there were people waiting for these boxes. There were people waiting for this kind of podcast episode or interview. And you sometimes, you know, to get to those nice rewards at the end, you have to push yourself a little bit beyond your comfort zone, which was not a natural thing for me at all in the early days. Yeah. Oh, it's really, uh, thank you for being so honest about it. I really like to hear that it's sometimes it's not worth it in your head and, and it does take people to pull you out of, of that, flunk as it were and speaking to people really helps because I think a lot of people around our age sort of mid-20s 30s late teens like 
they need to chat to people stuff isn't mm. always going to go go right no. and it's not going to go your way and yeah. I think that's something that people do need to accept yeah. and and kind of not necessarily like wait for it to happen yeah but just don't be too surprised when it does yeah and know and I think, to speak to people yeah I think asking for help is so underrated and whether that's in the realm of like mental health or whether that's in the realm of something like this like starting a business asking for help is perfectly valid and nine times out of ten that was a big thing that I learned there were massive names in business who are just waiting for you to dm them on instagram and you think you're being cheeky and you think you're being you know you're stepping out of line but i've met some amazing women in business who were just all too ready to help out and to lend a listening ear mm. and to recommend a mentor and like most often there's this big stigma around mentors like needing to have some sort of stake in the business but most people who have run a successful business would probably be fine to mentor you for free even if that's just a one hour yeah. session once every two months, it's that accountability and support that a lot of people think that there's a price tag on it or there's a level of exclusivity to it. And a lot of the times, like the big opportunities I always that thought I wouldn't be able to have came from what I thought were like a bit of a cheeky email here and there. Um, yeah. Because there are these really exclusive spaces which aren't advertised to people of a certain class or people of a certain group. And actually just emailing them and being like, hi, I want to go, but I don't have any money. That was like the one thing that I did loads in the first years and just tried to get rid of any mm. pride at all that was attached to sending those emails. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair enough. I think like when it, when it comes to money, there's a, a guy that I follow, Sam Harris, he's like a neuroscientist and philosopher and, and his one thing with his app, it's quite expensive. It is like 44 pounds every three months and it's a meditation app and it's mm. got so much more value than just the like daily meditations. And he always says at the start of every podcast, like, I never want money to be the reason that people can't access this stuff because it is beneficial. So like if yeah. you email him and you just say, look, I can't afford it. He'll give it to you for free. And the first time that I signed up to it, it they accidentally took a year's worth of money as opposed to a thing. And I said, Oh, like you've taken a year. Can I have it back? I just want to pay for the three months. And they gave me a free year. I think oh, for like the honesty, so nice. I think, um, I think people are more willing to give than people realize. Yeah. I kind I of run asking, by the... It, is, it does... Yeah. Yeah. I kind of run by the rule of like, if you don't ask, you don't get. And it's really blunt. Mm. And I'm not a blunt person, but it's just that thing. If you want to ask someone for a favor, if you want to ask somebody to be involved in something that you're doing, or, you know, like you have start, like starting on a podcast and asking people for guests, you probably will get more no's than yeses at the start. But people will, mm. people will say yes. And people will want to help you out because people are inherently nice as much as the internet would have us believe otherwise <laughs> yeah definitely and I, I feel like the people that say no to me begin to begin with like i'm still not upset by it because i'm like sometimes people ask me to do things i'm like oh, like i really can't be asked yeah and boundaries you just are important. That everyone's a human everyone can't be asked every now and then so some random person <laughs> from the uk emails someone in america saying oh can you come on a podcast at 10 o'clock at night they're like no no chance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, now, on on the subjects of of books that matter, I I had asked you a couple of questions um, via email about what your favourite books were and at what book you've been gifting to people the most. So, just starting off with the book that you gift the most at the moment. Now, I know you're packing a box or <laughs> thousands of boxes every month to essentially gift to people, but yeah, you personally giving to friends or family members. What's what's the number one book that you give away? I have to say at the moment, 
and it's kind of by complete chance it's Circe by Madeline Miller because I talk about it so much mm. and people always say oh I'd love to read that and I end up like buying them a copy or sending them a copy um recently mm. I got my youngest sister into um into kind of Greek mythology she read that and then she read Silence of the Girls by Pat it's either Pat Baker or Pat Barker I think it's Pat Barker but they were both on the Women's Prize for Fiction in 2019 on their long list um, and it's always great to see I love kind of retellings of mythology kind of fairy tales anything like that I'm all about it um, but other than that I gift a lot of copies of Feminists Don't Wear Pink the anthology that was curated by Scarlett Curtis it's got loads of amazing essays by women of all walks of life and it focuses on so much more than feminism as well it's kind of just debunking those myths about um kind of you know what a feminist is and you know what that kind of what the boundaries yeah. extend to i think it's a great introduction and a lot of people if they say like i don't know what you do i'll just be like read this and this is it, it's not a complex thing to get involved in feminism at all um so yeah that's yeah. one that i gift a lot yeah definitely i think nowadays like luckily the world's getting a little bit more sort of progressive and and like women can vote and everything now which is which is uh yeah. which is a great thing <laughs> but um like like uh, yeah you um like 20 30 years ago if someone was asked to draw a feminist they probably could if they asked now like you couldn't because there's a lot more people becoming feminists and in that way so yeah. here's an interesting thing for you and, I, and i'm going to go come back to those two books in a moment mm. but my listenership is mostly women and I've been recommended to read like women's women's health books. I'm like, it's, it's completely not of interest to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that comes from a closed mind place or if that just comes from a place of like, I am who I am. I'm interested in what I'm interested in. Like I'll pick up the odd book that I wouldn't have been inclined to tell someone I was reading maybe like four years ago um yeah where do you stand in terms of men reading about feminism how how important do you think that is and not necessarily like let's not talk about women's health books because like mm. I've, I've made a stance that like, I'm, I'm i'm not going to read it because like i don't even read about men's health and like that's directly <laughs> yeah. to do with me yeah um, but how, how important do you think it is for men to get educated around this like so important and i think you've got mm. I think you've got a right to to accept or decline when it comes to women's health. I think it's a real shame that the curriculum that we were served, me, like me and you being similar age brackets, mm. I think we were we were kind of lacking a lot of understanding of our own bodies, and that's men and women. I think that our understanding of how our bodies work was something that we should have been taught, and we shouldn't have. Also, I don't even get me started on like when it comes to like yeah, obviously sexual health always sounds weird, but we were never taught consent in my school. And I just think that that is something that could have saved a lot of grief for a lot of young women. And those kind of things are coupled together. But I think that's where the curriculum fails us, not where we necessarily need to pick it up ourselves. I read a lot of books on women's health, but that's something that it's part of my business as part of what I talk about quite openly. Um, And it's important um, because we're often not served by, you know, even the health service sometimes and especially women of color Mm. so yeah not going down that road but that's something that i think it's an optional part of feminism maybe and for men if you're starting out that's maybe not something that is the most important bit to start with um because like i said it's not your it's not your body so part of that whole kind of my body my choice movement is about how you know a lot of the time men's opinions on women's public health just it's kind of 
kaput. But anyway, um, yeah, exactly. So I think when it comes to reading about feminism, whether that's online or whether that's books, you don't have to go into a bookstore and stand in like the women's section and like, you know, pick up all of the kind of feminist I ideology. I thought there were going to be some, yeah. some sneaky men that go and stand in those sections just to look as if yeah. they are. Yeah. Exactly. because there's that there is a thing at the moment i think on on dating apps where a lot of men are trying to pretend to be woke oh they call it soft boy don't dates. they yeah <laughs> soft yes yeah yeah soft so boy. i make jokes that i'm a soft boy but like, <laughs> i actually give a shit <laughs> exactly it's act, it's action and i i love the quote i can't remember who it's by but you are what you do not what you say you will do because I think a lot of people say that they want to know about feminism and it's like, well, what are you actually doing though? Because if you're confused, this so like social media is free, Google is free. And I think that it's really mm. important that, um, like, you know, men are surrounded by women, whether that's your, you know, sexual preference or not, or whether you're inviting women into your life, you most likely have a mother or people you're related to who are women who you care about and society is not serving them still. Like you said, we can vote, but there's so many different intersections to feminism now that it's not that kind of straight up or down, like women have everything, they can get jobs, we don't need to worry about them anymore because safety is still an issue, um, diversity, disabilities, it's it's all still very much an issue. So I think that reading things like Feminists Don't Wear Pink, all of the money from that book goes to charity and so does the second anthology that Scarlett um, curated, I think it's called It's Okay to Be Blue. So that was about m mental health and a lot of that was around the rhetoric of men being okay to talk about mental health which was really really great and a really big kind of progressive yeah. step um but those books you know if you don't like it all of the stuff goes to charity anyway but you should want to read up and even just following a couple of feminist accounts you know seeing what's out there mm. watching some videos the igtvs that are done by people like scarlett curtis or jamila jamil um there are loads of things out that you can just watch it's for free and i think that it's really important that we all have an understanding because I think that's what I found most difficult was going back home and telling everyone that I was starting this business that was so ingrained in feminism it was really difficult and like not a lot of the men in my family were that supportive and it's really it's hard then to go from a very inclusive space on the internet where you've got loads of people who were like I was very lucky to have a lot of followers who were saying oh, I can't wait for this or, I can't wait for my box but actually the real world is the scary place i think and that's why i think activism starts at home and changing people's minds and having difficult conversations but that's not always easy and it's not always safe for women especially to do that so that's where we need men to step up and, and help us out yeah yeah definitely that's such an interesting answer now let's go back to feminists don't wear pink what yeah. uh, you said it's like a bunch of essays were there any of those essays that stood out to you as like the hardest hitting so what i love about this is there's so many essays from different women so if you want to, if it's your first like first foray into things like intersectional feminism so a lot of people believe that you don't necessarily need to read about women that don't look like you which is kind of to your detriment and the detriment of society mm. so there's a lot of different intersectional um essays in here but one that i always find really entertaining is one called the catastrophizers in alphabet by kat dennings um and it's kind of like an alphabetized conversation with her mum who believes that everywhere she goes she's going to get kidnapped but it's really funny like very witty satire yeah. on women's safety and how actually when you read between the lines all of these public spaces are not regulated and are not built for women like even when you get one thing that i always kind of weird to say enjoyed but enjoyed researching at university was the way that public spaces like workplaces transport are created for men who were the 
you know, first people into the workplace because we weren't allowed to be. Mm. And so actually pub a lot of public safety doesn't concern women and still doesn't protect them. So I'm all for like yeah. a bit of witty satire, but that essay has got a lot to say about, yeah, safety and, you know, how women see the world. So it's just, yeah, it's yeah. really funny. If you want to kind of read an essay about what it's like to be like just walking down the street as a woman, it's just, it's really funny, but it has a really like core message. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's cool. What is in as in like people catcalling or just a genuine just So it's it's like the the wit behind it is like her mum saying, if you do this, you're gonna get kidnapped. If you do that, you're gonna get kidnapped. And there's so there are so many things that just like walking down into a subway station in Berlin, mm. you're gonna get kidnapped. And it's it's yeah. just like the general way of like mothers look out for their daughters, but I think it does touch on things like catcalling, navigating the internet. It's a very short essay, but mm. it's got one for every letter of the alphabet. So it talks about Tinder dates and just how different that experience is. And I think actually when people who are slightly defensive about feminism get down to the bare bones of it, a lot of things that women are asking for are not anything less than human rights, like safety and to be yeah. treated well. So when you get down to it, it's really not, it's not something that should really be a debate. So yeah, this book is a really great way to introduce people to that conversation, I think. Yeah, I think it's interesting you say about like street safety, and if, and if people don't take it into consideration, I'd challenge any bloke to have never worried. Like, if your girlfriend goes out and gets absolutely steaming, mm. not to have ever been like concerned for the walk home or something like that. Because yeah. like that's definitely a feeling I've had in the past, and maybe that's me just being an anxious whatever generation I'm from. But like, it's it's a genuine it's thought, but. Yeah, I think a lot of no it comes more down about to if I go out. No, and I think a lot of it comes down to that element of like, you know, victim blaming as well. A lot of people say that, mm. you know, if somebody's concerned on their walk home, then they shouldn't have wore that or they shouldn't have drunk as much. And it's like yeah. we would never say the same to the opposite sex. And that is just a fact. And the Imagine saying that is... to someone's face as well. <laughs> exactly. And I've known, you know, fucking idiots I, on the internet. Yeah. And I think the the main thing is going through like the university experience as well sometimes that becomes all too scary and all too real and then having the conversations that follow are very difficult because people try and warn you for what you should not do next time if you want to avoid mm. that happening and it's like actually we should just arrest people for the way they behave or you know people on the doors of clubs should be more aware of how people behave rather than you know mm. it's it's a whole thing and it's a whole rhetoric but i think the more that we start to understand it as a society the whole kind of what am I trying to say? The whole kind of stigma around the word feminism becomes just a conversation on women's safety and women's rights, which, yeah, just isn't that complex, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the thing is, like, even if, if I was to talk about feminism to someone, like, I'd still maybe have to, like, chuck up a peace sign as I was talking about it, like, with my two <laughs> fingers, just <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, I'm a feminist, just, like, just to, like, kind of make light of a situation that's actually really serious, like... Yeah. It's such a, an obscure world to live in. Yeah. And having those conversations is really difficult. And I've definitely, I'm not good at them now. I've never been good at them. I'm not good no, at talking to people. Difficult. I'm not good with confrontation, but I think change comes from going through those uncomfortable things and coming out the other side. And it's the same with like, I know that you've spoken a lot on your other podcast episodes about personal growth. If you don't, if you avoid discomfort, you will always be living as your past self in that way that like if you don't yeah. grow through different experiences and you're not willing to talk to other people about how you would like to see them change or like if your friends I think that's one of the biggest things that men can do is if your friend says something problematic just be like come on 
it's not the 1980s like yeah. let's move past that but it's that fear that you'll ruin the moment or you'll be or somebody will be awkward about it and it's just like it's not that hard to do and people are human and yeah. people will understand um but i do understand as well that it's for anybody who's more introverted it's a really awkward thing yeah. sometimes but it can yield really great results um and i would say 90 percent of the time it's well more than that i'd like to say but realistically sometimes like 80 yeah. percent of the time it's totally worth having that conversation but some people are bigots and you'll never change their mind and sometimes it's just worth not yeah. talking to that person anymore yeah yeah definitely and that's that's one thing people can remember like you can always just cut people out if yeah if your efforts are frivolous like just just cut it out it's calm yeah um, and interesting up, say about um sorry yeah <laughs> definitely that's all right we've got a little bit of lag i'm pretty sure but um yeah it's it's okay so what was the f- like the first book that went in the box of books that matter it was purple hibiscus by chimamanda ngozi adichie she's amazing yeah okay what what was the sort of the storyline in that book and and when was it do you go back in time like when they're published like maybe like mid-90s books from feminist writers then or is it all sort of quite new literature so we we try and include about two classics every year and then choosing those they usually Mm. come from like archives ones that haven't been printed or have been out of print for a while um with the Chimamanda book that was it was hard to know what to start with I had no idea what I was doing so I was just like let's pick a book that is so it was in her kind of archives she had newer books out um like oh I can't remember what her other books are now I've gone a complete mind blank but she had other books this was one that's kind of sometimes underrated and it was a nice one to start with because it it really got us into the conversation of intersectional feminism um and it focuses on like you know a family coming of age story which is always a good way to kind of like start that conversation of how um kind of feminism and autonomy can change a woman's life um and so a lot of her books um kind of center on that and like really strong female protagonists um and then throughout the kind of the other boxes we've kind of themed around so we did have Circe by Madeline Miller but we've had classics like The Colour Purple um Beloved by Toni Morrison um but now we really try to focus on more contemporary brand new or kind of you know in the archives kind of support the up-and-comers yeah yeah ones that people wouldn't have because now we have a larger subscriber base like not to sound like a dick but like it's just harder to like please all of those people as well because you realize there's actually a large portion of people who subscribe to a book box and they're like i've already got this it's like i'm not living inside your house lucy i don't know what you've got but like i'll try my hardest and it's hard because some people really are avid readers and they've got everything on the up-and-coming list um so we have to be really vigilant and it requires quite a lot of um, like good relationships with publishers to know what's coming out and getting it sometimes like pre-release and stuff yeah definitely definitely i think i think it's interesting that you say about not being able to please everything because that's that's something that i soon sort of realized with the podcast like you actually you're never going to choose like please everyone especially when there's like a few thousand people mm. interested in in what it is you're talking about um yeah. you just won't be able to and i think that is a thing with feminism that for me just in and like i know we're going more on the feminism than we are the, the books here today. <laughs> yeah. but um i think it's an important conversation to have yeah. i think for me but there's there's almost like a oh what you're doing is not good enough or oh that's not good enough and it's a like, hold on like 
I'm really trying. And I think yeah. there's there's one thing that does frustrate me. Like I'm 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 a full like full blown lefty, but like one thing that annoys me is like there's there's people so far on like the radical left that forget that Pro- people progress. can learn. Yeah. Yeah. Progress, not perfection. Yeah, and definitely, definitely. I'm all for that. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons that I've I've always loved Jamila Jamil as an activist is that she's really vocal on like cancel culture being there, like I mean, to put it lightly, it's just like the enemy of progress for a lot of people, because if you're willing to, unless somebody's done something terribly, terribly wrong, then yes, you know, like just get them out. But it's down to the point that if somebody is trying and they've made a little slip up and they've apologised for it, then what more could they be doing? If they're promising to try harder, then I just think that we need to, as a society, allow people to have that space to grow. And if you're not willing to do that for them, then I don't know. I think that's what becomes the end of a lot of activism is that people find themselves or not even activism but just people trying to do the right thing people tend to give up because they seem like there's more people against them than with them and that happens so much in the feminist space and it's often women against other women and there's already perpetuated Mm. stereotypes of women being catty and that is not really valid because it's just a very misogynistic idea but i think there's a lot of I think it was Gloria Steinem who always used to speak quite she's always spoken very kind of candidly on how sometimes women direct their energy towards other women who are just trying to make progress rather than towards the men who don't want them to make progress and um yeah yeah progress progress is is key and people who aren't willing to allow people to make it they're just yeah enemy of progress yeah definitely okay well look I'm I'm almost ready to to wrap this up but I do have one last question and I, and I hope that it isn't the same books as your one that you've gifted but what is your all-time top three time top three i actually it took me ages i wrote them down on a post-it note which is in the other room but i can't remember them so first one as like the feminist bible the handmaid's tale because it was just such a pivotal thing for me i wrote about um reproductive rights and feminist dystopia for my dissertation and that's something that i really want to go mm. back and learn more about um, because that conversation is so interesting in terms of the healthcare system and how it serves women and also how dystopian fiction predicts a lot of what we go through um, and especially what yeah. women of colour go through. So that was something that I'm very interested in. Um, what was the other ones? So to mention one male author, <laughs> I don't think he's really yeah. relevant anymore. Because we're diverse. Yeah, we are diverse. I love yeah, yeah. Shakespeare. So my favourite Shakespeare play is King Lear. I absolutely love Shakespeare. Just, I don't even get to do enough of it now. I just, I, I revisit King Lear a lot and especially sounds really weird and like literary, but it really wasn't. I was just a bit of a hot mess at the start of the pandemic, knowing that I would have to shield for like four or five months because I'm asthmatic. Mm. And um, I just read a few bits of King Lear and it brought me a lot of comfort. It was the first kind of piece of Shakespeare that I'd read at school and I had this amazing English teacher anybody who loves books has like a memory of a very fond English teacher that they loved I'm pretty sure they are the best teachers but um yeah Yeah. I just had this amazing experience with my teacher Mrs Hall who taught us like very dynamically about King Lear and so that always brings me a lot of joy um and I think one of the contemporary reads I've really enjoyed was um An American Marriage and I've revisited that quite a lot um because I think that the conversations that we had around kind of anti-racism and the Black Lives Matter movement this year are things that need to stay and if there are books that we can read and then Mm. reread and revisit for that rhetoric that's really important. I really enjoyed that book and um, Tyari Jones is a really beautiful writer so her other book Silver Sparrow is amazing as well. 
Yeah, perfect. Well, then an, an impromptu question here, because I've just thought of this. Are we going to see uh, Molly Masters book that matters? <laughs> that's, that's a nice question. Um, I hope so. I've always wanted to be a writer. Um, mm. I've written a few things. And then, you know, when you do that, like shit first draft, and you're just like, I'm not going back to it. There's a couple that I should go back to. But um, first draft of anything is shit. It's awful. It's just, yeah. And it's also really painful to go back and just be like, I've spent hours on this piece of trash. Um, but <laughs> I just, just, just. I'm sure you're being harsh to yourself. <laughs> I've just found the mental energy again to start writing. And it's something that I'm really excited about because for a while I've been spending a lot of time serving the business, which is really natural. But I feel like there are things like writing and other bits that I enjoy outside of the business, which I need to like mm. nurture more for more of like yeah just self-care and i hope maybe one day i would write a book and get that get that out into the world but we'll see yeah well i mean you've got a subscriber list of people that are going to buy it anyway so you're all right <laughs> yeah <laughs> i just print it myself <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. um yeah that's brilliant i i love that and, and i'm excited hopefully i'll get you back on when when that book does come out um, oh thanks for having so much faith just- in me <laughs> <laughs> um well look the thing is like i feel that i'm gonna write a good book and i haven't had any training in writing or anything and it sounds like you went to university you've spent a lot more time around books than me so i'm like yeah do you know what i've got all the faith in you oh yeah thanks <laughs> <laughs> well i look forward to reading yours as well i think i just find conversations there's not enough like writer spaces here in bristol or at least i haven't mm. found them so i'm always like excited to talk to other people who are like in the in the kind of stream of writing something it's and that's what I love about my job as well is getting to meet authors because I think one of the best things about reading a book is then well for me anyway I don't think that's like a shared um like life position but is to be able to then go and ask all the questions to the author I feel like there's some really cheesy quote in um, the catcher in the rye about that about how like you want to be able to ring up your favorite author and ask them all your questions and it's a real privilege to be able to do that and to be able to quiz people for unlimited amounts yeah. of time that they'd rather not yeah be talking to 23 year olds on IGTV yeah. about but I want to quiz them with all my questions <laughs> so yeah it's a real yeah. yeah I'm very grateful to do what I do yeah nice excellent well look so for everyone listening where's the the best place for everyone to find you um so if you want to follow us on socials we're at books that matter uk and then our website is books um we're going under a little bit of a facelift but everything's still functional but it should be nice and jazzy soon um but yeah if people wanted to come and join us that would be that would be great perfect well i'll put i'll put a link um in the description there but any final words before i let you know i'm not that i'm going to kill you but uh thank you thank you so much for having me on it's been really lovely and it's yeah one nice to connect with somebody who isn't inside my home that's always fun um but no i think what you're doing is really important i think that like any opportunity for us all to reconnect to things that we love whether that's reading or writing or anything else during lockdown it's definitely not been the easiest experience but i think that it's really important so finding spaces that make you feel like you are supported in doing something new like you said if reading was new to you only three months ago it means that there's so much more that we can do that's outside of our comfort zones or outside of our daily lives that yeah will make a difference so yeah it's been wonderful thank you so much for having me thank you very much come in I thank you so much for listening in. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Like I said at the start, as much as I enjoyed having it, 
it's always lovely to speak to people that are so passionate and that are really trying to do good in the world and molly is certainly one of those people so thank you very much for coming on molly and thank you everyone for listening if you need to sign up to the email list which you do that link will be in the description if you want to follow us on instagram like i said at the start is at a need to read with the number two and not the word and i'll be back soon with a couple book reviews for you